If you have your Bibles tonight, turn to Philippians chapter 2. If you haven't been here for a little bit, we've been uh, breaking down for the last few weeks the Apostles' Creed. If you haven't heard of that, it's the oldest, most agreed-upon creed in the Christian religion. Uh, Catholics, Protestants, even Baptists <laughs> agree on the, the Apostles' Creed, which is what we just quoted right there. But there's parts of this that break down, and, it, and what we have to recognize is what you believe matters, right? And a lot of us don't know what we believe or what we stand for. I think that's the value that we receive just by breaking down the, the Apostles' Creed is because it just lays out all the biblical belief systems that are already in Scripture. I heard of a story, and you may have heard this too, of a guy who went to the circus long ago, and he saw these elephants chained to these little stakes with little skinny ropes. He goes to the trainer and he says, how in the world are they, they can get out of that? That creature weighs two tons. Why are they chained with those little ropes and those little stakes? And the trainer says, when they were little, we trained them with that same size rope and that same size stake, and they believe they can't get free. So they don't. I have to ask myself on a regular basis, as we probably all do, why am I chained to a little pathetic little rope that I've been chained to for a long, long time that I could be freed from by the power of the God of the universe and his Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ? Part of it's because I don't believe him as much as I believe in the rope. For whatever the reason is, the part that we were going to break down tonight in the Apostles' Creed is Jesus is Lord. And I want to read a passage of Scripture right out of the gate after we read the first couple stanzas of the Apostles' Creed again. First couple sections of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. We could talk about Jesus in many ways. We could talk about His grace and mercy. We could talk about His provisions. We could talk about all of the things that He does for us. His long-suffering, His patience. He goes after the one. But I think we ought to be compelled a little bit today to just look at his lordship. In Philippians 2, 5 through 11, was an early church hymn. They sang this early every Lord's Day as acknowledgement. These wonderful songs, just like we sang a minute ago, to describe their faith to themselves and to remind themselves what they really did believe. So in honor of the reading of God's Word, I just want to ask you to stand for a moment as we read. If you don't have it in your Bible, we do have it on the screens. Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Jesus Christ is Lord. And in this text, Paul tells us exactly why he's Lord. So what we want to talk about tonight are four fundamental facts about the Lordship of Christ himself. Number one, we want to talk about the realm of his Lordship. The realm of his Lordship. Jesus existed before the world did. He created the heavens and the earth in the beginning with the Father and the Holy Spirit. In verse 5 through 6, it says, Have this mind among you in Philippians, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he was did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He already existed. Paul tells us here that God was in the form, Jesus was from the beginning in the form of God. Jesus Christ, even before he came to this earth as that little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, existed in eternity, past as Lord. That is not an easy thing to wrap your mind around, but it was true, and it is true. Whether I believe it's true, does that change whether it's true or not? I don't think so. Just check what you think is true. Because it does matter whether you are released from that stake, that bondage, or not. Jesus didn't have this beginning in that manger in Bethlehem. He had it before getting to earth. John 1.1 says in the beginning the, was the word talking about Jesus, and the Word was God, was with God. He was in the beginning with God. Before he came to the earth as a little baby to Mary and Joseph, he was Lord. He is Lord. He came to this earth. He was worshipped there in heaven by the angels, glorified, came out of heaven to earth to be humbled. To die for you and me. Before he came to this earth, Jesus was Lord. He was Lord when he stepped into history. This part of the realm, we're going to break down a little bit. And if I could challenge you to do anything, it would be this week, go through Mark chapter 4 and 5. At the very end of Mark chapter 4, Jesus begins this walk with us on earth in miracles that have taken place. Jesus had just shared a bunch of parables before he gets to Mark chapter 4 at the end. And we're going to break down how he is Lord over certain things on this earth. And they are certain things that you and I worry about. Certain practical things that we can't wrap our minds around. Jesus is already Lord over in your life. We try and make sense of it. 
He wants to make sense of you and your relationship with him first, and then you will make sense of it. Verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. He becomes a human being. He became a man. You find that while Jesus was on earth, he was Lord over many things. And I want to start with this one because it's a huge one. Disaster. Jesus was Lord over disaster. Think of circumstances that you think are disastrous. You'll read here at the end of Mark chapter 4 where Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and he said, I am worn out, fellas. We have been talking to these guys about these parables. They, half of them don't understand what I'm talking about. They've been grabbing my robe and pulling me this way and that. Let's go to the other side. So they jump in this boat and they start to head to the other side. And many of you know what happens. A storm comes. They start stressing out. What's Jesus doing? He's asleep. The disciples are stressing out while Jesus is asleep. They go to him and say, what is wrong with you? You're asleep. Well, I told you before we left, we need to go. I needed to get some rest. He wakes up. After they wake him up, he goes out and he simply speaks and calms the storm. And everybody is fine. Everybody's fine. Why is it that in the midst of storms, we worry about the storm. We worry about when the storm's coming. When we live on Dolphin Island, we're worried about storms two months before hurricane season. We're planning for storms to maybe come or maybe not. And when you do, you're thinking, do I have to move? What is my house far enough up in the air? I need to do something with that tree. And we go on with the list after list after list of the things that have to happen. I imagine that they did that. Oh, don't, don't bother Jesus. He's fine. He's asleep. He's, he's asleep. You don't need to mess with him. He was Lord over the storm even when he was asleep and they were stressing right? He didn't just suddenly wake up and then became Lord over the storm. He exercised his power after he got up. He's Lord over their disaster just like he's Lord over any disaster that you can face. He wants to provide for you and take care of you and out in the middle of your sea, no matter how the storm is blowing and the waves are crashing, Jesus is Lord over the storm, over the disaster. We would say often, and I have said often, Lord, do you even care? Do you even care? In 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, heck yes. Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you, is what scripture tells us. Peter who stressed out in a boat, later writes, cast all of your cares on him, for he cares for you. Jesus asked them why they're fearful. He tells the waves and wind, hush and be still, and they stop. He's Lord over disaster. He's Lord over demons. They get to the eastern side. They park their boat. They get out, and Jesus begins to walk. 
There's a graveyard right there and a crazy naked guy who's bleeding and cut and chains on him comes running. What would you do if a crazy naked guy who had blood on him and chains came running at you? You would think Peter would run around him and try and cut his ear off. Thomas would be like, is this really happening? And they all start trying to figure out how they're going to manhandle this crazy guy. But who's going to do that? Because he's crazy enough to be naked in the graveyard. I ain't going there. Here's another thing to think about. In Jesus' day, there wasn't anybody of value going to a graveyard at all. You touched no unclean thing. So he wasn't going to go near that graveyard. Jesus didn't do anything any of the other religious leaders did in his day, though, did he? So he goes straight to the naked crazy guy. Knowing that wasn't the crazy naked guy. That crazy naked guy had some other people inside him, demons, talking to Jesus. Why are you coming to bother me? Get out. He casts them out. They get into the swine. They head over the side and die. And in the next scene, he's clothed and in his right mind. How many of you have been naked, crazy, chained, and bleeding in one scene, and in the next scene, clothed and in your right mind? Don't raise your hand to that. <laughs> There's no this is a no-judgment-free zone. It's like Planet Fitness, only without the weird restroom thing. And, you know, they probably have free weights in heaven, too. I believe that. If he has power over principalities that you and I cannot see, he has power over what you and I can see. He has power over your storms and he has power over the demons. We know who you are, the demons say. You're Jesus, the son of the most high God. Have you come to torment us? Ephesians 6.12 says, and this isn't in the slide, so just listen. For we, you and I, do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Jesus is Lord over what you cannot see. He was Lord over disease. He keeps walking. And what happens? The people in that region saw the naked crazy guy and they get upset going, get out of here. Something's wrong with this situation. We're scared to death now. He's clothed in his right mind, and he's been naked and crazy and chained for a long time. So they throw him out. Here's a point we've got to notice in this transition. Jesus only goes where he's invited. And he only stays where he's welcome. If we kick him out, I am free to stay chained to a little stick. All the rest of my life. I can stay naked and crazy all I want. Does Jesus want that for me? No. But do we choose that? Often, yes. Do an evaluation in your own life. Realize that Jesus is walking through and he has orchestrated some things in your life that maybe you're not noticing that you haven't seen the healing, that you don't remember. He leaves when they ask him to leave. And then Jairus, a man, comes up to Jesus and he says, 
Will you come? He's inviting him. My daughter's about to die. Come to my house. Jesus says, yes, I'm going to go because you're inviting me. So he starts to head off. And along the way, people start coming to him. As they're walking along, he's got a crowd pulling on his coattails. And, and a woman comes up behind. She touches him. She has been sick. She's had a horrible hemorrhage, bleeding for 12 years. Everybody knows this. And all of a sudden, she's healed by touching him. Jesus stops and he says, someone touched me. Who did that? Jesus knows who touched him when it was serious. The disciples are like, what are you kidding me? There's 40 people touching you right now. Everybody's touching you. Everybody wants to get close because everybody has something to gain from touching Jesus. But not everybody wants to continue walking with Jesus. Jesus can always tell the difference between the touch of a sick sinner and the stress of a desperate crowd. There are a lot of people who are tire kickers who are just trying to figure out, oh, that didn't work for me. Or I tried that once. I tithed, but I never really got anything back. I did this and that. The church just didn't work. Church doesn't work. <laughs> but it's a theocracy run by God, and we're the bride of Christ. And if we are the bride of Christ, operating under the authority of Jesus, will we work? Yes. We're going to work all day long because we're working under the power of the Lord of the universe who also is our husband, who leads us, who knows that we've touched us and knows we need a touch and knows we need to be freed from our small stake. He says, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. And she went in peace. Her faith made her whole because she touched him believing in him, not just desperate for healing, kicking tires. He keeps walking. And we see here he's Lord over death. He gets to Jairus' house and somebody says, don't bother don't bother the teacher anymore. She's already gone. She's not going to make it. She's gone. Oh, she's not dead, Jesus said. She's just sleeping. What? What are you talking about? Now, keep in mind, what did the disciples just go through with Jesus? They've seen all this miraculous activity. They've seen him calm the waves. And then they're going, what in the world? is going to happen next. You can say, when you are the resurrection of the light and the life, oh, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. He's Lord of all. So he tells her in a sweet voice, little girl, get up. Goes over to the side of the bed, kneels beside it, and says, little girl, get up. She gets up. What else is she going to do? She obeys the God of the universe, comes out of death, gets up, and he says, get her something to eat. Get her something to eat. Why? Our Father in heaven 
meets all of our needs according to his riches and glory. And he knows all of your needs at the right times. And at the time, whenever Dylan or Dawson or even me wake up out of bed, especially teenagers, we're starving. <laughs> Jesus met a simple need from a loving girl who he just raised from the dead the second she came to life. She had a need, and he continued to meet those needs. Jesus is Lord over all of this realm before we got here and while he was here in the flesh. Go home and read those passages, and you'll see those stories come to life in your own life. Remind yourself, what has God done in my life regarding healing? I know people in this building, there's no building. Well, hey, we're going to have one. Just bring your money next week. There are people in this audience right now who we've seen healing happen to. There are people in this audience who we have seen relieved from death of bad circumstances, financial ruin. God has answered some prayers in your life just like he did all of these people. He's been real to you, and he wants you to share that realness to others. He's been real for a long time in my life, and he will be Lord at the end of history. Before history, while he was in it, and at the end of history. When he comes again, John saw it while he was on the Isle of Patmos, Listen to what he wrote in Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of King. And Lord of Lords. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 1 that every eye will see him. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The realm of his lordship isn't that he is Lord as a negotiated alternative to other religions. He said... I am God. He is or he's not. What do you believe? That's important. So the question isn't, is he Lord? I guess, is, it, is he your Lord? Is he my Lord? The second thing, not the realm of his Lordship, but the right of his Lordship. There's a passage, and I'll read it in a minute that dictates more than anything in my own heart. It reminds me of his lordship in my own heart. Verse 9 of chapter 14 of Romans. 
Jesus claims lordship. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and of the living. He purchased you and me on the cross. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, I'm not my own, but I've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body, which belongs to Christ. We, he has earned the right to be our Lord by dying to purchase salvation for you and me. When he was on the cross, he was saying, David, not those Pharisees and Sadducees. He was saying to every single person, I forgive them. It is finished. Forgive them. The blood shed for you and me never lost one iota of power to purchase the salvation that every sinner you know, that you don't know yet. People that are lost right now walking around, he has died for and he is calling to salvation. He has a right to be your Lord because he's purchased salvation. He's also got a right to be your Lord because he rose to pardon your sin. He's no longer in the grave. He's no longer there. When Jesus rose from the dead, it gave him the right and power to be the one who could pardon and forgive your sins. He desires to forgive you and me of our sins. And that's why he came. To die and live so that we could live. He purchased you and me. The rules of his lordship, finally, are very simple. They're not complex. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's two parts to this. Every knee should bow and every tongue confess. Every knee should bow. Unconditional submission. Unconditional submission to the Lord. We generally have conditions to our submission. I'll obey you if. If you get me out of this and we make negotiations with God at times. No. He says I want unconditional surrender and submission to, your, to my lordship. That's what God wants in our lives. He wants your knee simply bowed. And I found that the posture of just being on my knee sometimes humbles me to realize he loves me. I don't have the answers. I need to look down. I need to think less. I need to listen more. I need to open my Bible a little bit more. I need to give him this area of my life that I haven't quite turned all the way over there's something about the posture of kneeling beside your bed like Jesus knelt next to that little girl that said I care I love you I'm humbled before you I don't deserve to be listened to by you you died for me and what have I done except whined about my grocery list and asked for more and said this, that, and the other? And we, get, we self-implode. 
and we stay tied to a little rope. Get on your knee when you're reading Mark 4 through 5 this week. Get on your knee and pray about what God reveals to you. Unconditional submission means the command. I'm going to obey the command to witness. No, I'm not doing that. That's crazy. (laughs) The command to serve him. I don't have enough time. The command to follow him daily. To take up your cross. To be in his army. The command to read his word. To pray. The command to be what he wants you to be, not who you are paralyzed to to not be. He wants you to bow to that today. Take anything in your life that you think you have not given to him. Get on your knee and change your heart. Every tongue confess. Unconditional confession. The other rule. The Bible says every tongue will confess. We're going to confess whether it's while we're here or whether we're, our life's over, it's too late. Either way, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow and say that Jesus Christ is Lord. I say we do it here. I say we unchain ourselves here. I say we be the big elephant that's trampling around doing all kinds of stuff. Letting Christ lead us around to do bigger things. To witness and serve. To do things that we didn't think we could do. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. I want to close because we're going to we're going to honor God with communion. And if you don't have any, just raise, if you don't have one of these, just raise your hand because we've got some guys in the back that have some. If you all have them, then we good? All right, we're good. I simply want to read a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul was writing to the Corinthians. Because I believe they had introduced, reintroduced religion back into their scenario when they knew that Christ was Lord. So you see, Jesus can be Lord for a while and then Satan wants to infiltrate the camp, disunify, and split. He's one. If he can neutralize someone, he's got division, right? So at the time, Jesus had already taught the disciples how to remember him through communion. They were saying that they were honoring Christ by meeting in church for communion. But in reality, you had a group that was showing up and they were eating and partying. Some of them even drinking too much and getting drunk. And then you have another group didn't have any food anyway. You've got widows and orphans who weren't being taken care of. Jesus was not Lord of that situation. Not Lord at all. So Paul says to the church. He needs to be Lord. 
in verse 27 of chapter 11. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The invitation tonight is going to be simple. I'm going to ask the band to come up right now. And while they're coming, I want you to examine yourself. Is he Lord of every area of your life? Is Jesus in your mind, do you believe that he has lordship over the realm of everything? Before the world was created, while he was here, and forever? Do you believe he, he has asked you to obey him and, and that he is worthy of obedience? Have you asked him in no uncertain terms, with your knee bowed and your tongue confessing in your own private closet area, Lord, what do you want from me? I feel chained. What do you want from me? If you don't deal with what the Holy Spirit wants you to deal with, you could eat and drink judgment upon yourself. That's not anything that anybody wants. It's nothing that I would want. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and I want you guys to pray right where you are. Jared's going to be up here. The band's just going to play a song. I'll lead us in communion afterwards, but I want to spend just a couple of minutes while they're praying. We had already done communion together with the band in the back. If you need prayer for anything, I'll be here. Jared's going to be down here. Or just pray where you are. Take this personal time to worship. Dump everything out. Feel free to get on your knee. Let every knee bow and every tongue confess in this place that Jesus is Lord for these next few minutes. If you don't know Jesus personally, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that's Jesus. That he would be Lord over you and me. That whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But it's not a belief that just says, yeah, I believe in that. If you believe you're going to get paid on Friday, you go to work Monday through Thursday. If you don't believe you're getting paid on Friday, you don't go to work Monday through Thursday. If you aren't going to work, maybe it's a matter of belief. Maybe you don't believe what you think you believe. Check your heart. Ask God to forgive you. Get back on track. I'm going to ask everybody to stand and I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship. Lord, you are Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. We praise the name of Jesus right now. And I pray that, Lord, if there's anyone here 
that doesn't know you, that you would soften their heart and draw them to you. Lord, check our hearts right now. Answer our prayers as we come genuinely, soberly, honestly to you right now. Hear our prayers and meet our needs according to your riches and glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray.